All right, everybody, this is Ramley John, Managing Director here at ProductLed. Welcome to another session of the live ProductLed expert Q&A. Today, I have Arpit. He is a non-engineer who loves data and APIs. That's uh, really interesting to say. I'm the same way I actually majored in math in university. He's the founder of Data-Led Academy, a go-to place for anybody irrespective of their technical know-how to learn how to work with data to get expert and biased actionable answers to data-related questions. How's it going, Arpit? How are things with you? Great. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I've been a huge fan of product-led. I love what you guys are doing. And it's, in fact, a huge inspiration for what I'm trying to do at Data-Led Academy. So thanks for having me. A super cool, because like one of the top things that we get asked all the time is what data tech stack they should use for the product-led company. But we're going to get there. I mean, that's why I'm yeah. super excited about this. That's you know, being to become product-led, you have to really be data-led. And you know, yeah. people know about data-driven, people know about data-inspired. <laughs> but for you, you have this academy called Data-Led. What does data being data-led mean to you? Yeah, thanks for asking that. So um, essentially, I mean, I stumbled upon the concept of data-led a couple of years back. And it really stood out because being data-led essentially means to not blindly follow what data tells you. It means that you should question the accuracy of the data and then use your, combine what you see, like combine what the data tells you with your intuition and experience to make data-led decisions. So that's like a high-level definition, but more specifically, I like to think of someone who's data-led is, is someone who is uh, comfortable working with data, is confident asking questions about data, asking questions of the data, and then essentially uh, has the skills to build a customer experience powered by data. And going back to my original point, it comes back to understanding, you know, where the data comes from, what it looks like, what are the data sources, how data moves from the source to the different destinations and so on. And the beauty of it is that you don't need to be an engineer. You don't need to really have a technical background to understand this stuff. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to propagate uh, at Data Led Academy. That's super cool. You know, we are talking about Data Led. It's, you know, using data to drive the customer experience. I know this is probably a basic question, but often we need to go back to basics. Why is it important to be data-led when you're a product-led company? Can you just like give some examples of, you know, this is why some of the reasons why, you know, leading with your data is so, so critical. And I, we've seen this with companies, like we want to hear from you why being data-led is so important. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. So I don't think we need to talk about what it means to be product-led. Everybody here uh, knows what it means to be product-led. But essentially, to be product-led, you got to be data-led. And that's because if you don't have the data uh, in the tools that you use for, say, onboarding or for your, your lifecycle emails or for even support, how can you really be product-led? You know, The core essence of being product-led is to let your product drive adoption uh, which means you need to understand what users are doing inside your product. And then based on those events or actions that users are performing inside your app uh, or your website, you need to essentially personalize the onboarding experience, whether that's via in-app messages or via triggered lifecycle emails uh, without the data in the tools that you use to drive you know, uh, onboarding and everything else that you need to do in order to, to be a product-led company. You cannot do that efficiently. You know, you can have all the tools and you can create linear experiences, but that's not going to help. You have to create personalized experiences where a user should, should receive an in-app message based on who they are. And when I say who they are, you should ideally 
know who your user is when they sign up, you should at least know what industry they belong to so that you can at least personalize the welcome message that you show once they sign up. And then if you have an onboarding tour, uh, you can actually personalize the onboarding tour based on uh, the user persona, the industry they belong to, or their role. I think a great example would be what we used to do at Integromat when I used to uh, lead growth at Integromat. We would essentially have uh, onboarding tours where we'd walk users through an end-to-end process where we show them how to build an integration on Integromat, which is a lot like Zapier, if you're not familiar. And we'd basically personalize those walkthroughs based on the industry of the user and often based on the role that their role you know so it's not a linear experience not everybody's going to see the same uh, generic sort of message and an onboarding experience it's going to be different based on who the user is so that's one part of it and then a second part which is really important uh, is to basically engage with users via email or via chat again based on the action that they're performing inside your app you know, uh, you don't want to do a drip email campaign with like seven emails that everybody receives. And I'm sure we have all experienced that. And I've seen some big companies do that where I'd be, I receive an email saying that, hey, did you know you could also do this when I've already done that in the app? Now that email is useless. You know, you sent me that email, I opened that email, but that email did not add any value. In fact, it was like, you know, this email is useless. The next time you send me an email, I might just ignore it. Whereas if you have data in the tools that you use to create these uh, email experiences, lifecycle emails, whether that's customer IO or Breathe or whatever, based on events that you're performing inside the app, you can actually personalize that those emails heavily. You know, you could have like, I don't know, depending on your product and the number of use cases, you could have like hundreds of different paths that users could take based on what they do or based on what they don't do. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think being product-led is obviously important. Everybody needs to be product-led. But I've seen a lot of product-led companies firsthand where the data is missing and they expect people to follow product-led principles without having access to data, you know? And that doesn't make any sense. I love what you said there. I mean, the way that I look product people ask me this often, you know, what, what are the top two things a company that's trying to go sales set to product-led? The first one is to get buy-in from everybody. And the second is to get product data because for a product-led company, data is almost everything. That sales team will use it to qualify their users, uh, their customers, and really go for revenue expansion. You talked about onboarding for the activation team. Data is where you figure out who needs to be activated or who needs a little bit more help. Customer success and marketing, like really data is at the heart of product-led. That's something that I've been really, really thinking about. And when it comes to data, and I'm sure a lot of the people here are here because of this question. Let's talk about tools, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like when you think about, hey, usually that's the top thing that they ask. Obviously, in my, and, you know, I'm going to ask you this, is Google Analytics enough? And I'm going to guess no. <laughs> and if not, what are some, some tools that product-led companies need to consider to mm-hmm. get the right kind of data to empower sales marketing, customer success, and the whole company with product data? Absolutely. I love this question, you know, and, you know, I could uh, talk about it all day. But here's how I'd like to answer this question. Uh, Before I talk about the tools, I want to talk about the different types of tools or technologies that uh, companies should uh, at least know about and then consider investing in. So it starts with data collection, you know, where you start collecting first-party data from your primary sources or your first-party sources 
which are your website and apps, which is essentially the product data that we all talk about. Uh, and you need certain tools for that. There are purpose-built tools like segment connections. There are newer tools like iteratively enable, or there are a bunch of CDPs that allow you to collect this first-party data from your apps and websites. So you need to have a tool like that. You know, a lot of companies try to do this in-house, but it's not a good approach. So yeah, data collection from your primary sources. And then you also need to collect data from your secondary sources, which are essentially tools that you use to engage with your customers, tools that your sales and marketing teams or customer success teams use, whether that's on, you know, onboarding tools, email tools, support tools, whatever. A lot of data is being collected or gathered in those tools. You know, when people uh, message you or people uh, open an email and you need that data and essentially you want to combine the data with product data. And there are purpose-built tools to collect that data, take that data out of those tools. And typically, these are ELT tools, such as Fivetran, Stitch, etc. I'm not going to talk about specific tools because there are many, many tools in each of these categories. But I'd like people to understand that, you know, there's data collection, where you collect data from your primary sources and your secondary sources. And then you have data storage, which is typically a data warehouse. Uh, today, it's cheaper and more affordable and uh, easier than ever to invest in a data warehouse, to set up a data warehouse. Yeah, uh, I said cheaper and more affordable, but essentially the idea is that it's really, it's not hard at all to set up a data warehouse. You don't need a lot of technical skills, essentially. So storing your data in a warehouse is really, really important, especially if you're collecting a lot of data. For companies that are just starting out, it might be overkill to do that, but it's something that everybody should know about because if you're not doing that, you're essentially not storing that very valuable data. A lot of companies would essentially track that data and then directly pipe the data to end tools, you know, to sales and marketing tools. And basically you're not storing the data. You're collecting the data, you're sending the data to different tools, but you're not storing it. So collection and storage. And then once you have that, once you have the data, there are two main layers. One is analysis, the other is activation. So the analysis layer, I think, most of us are familiar with essentially refers to having a product analytics tool where you know you're you're moving all your product data in the form of event data uh, where you can obviously analyze what users are doing or not doing inside your app which features are being used or not used and uh, that helps you improve your product and also improve your activation and then there's another part to analysis which is essentially bi or business intelligence where uh, besides product data you also have different types of data and basically, these different types of data are coming from those different sources we talked about. This can be referred to as object data because uh, this is data that comes from your CRM uh, or from your email to the support tool that they come in the form of objects. So you want to basically understand, like get a high-level overview of, of what's happening. Uh, you don't want to just understand how people are using your product, but you want to build reports for your management to see. You want to create specific reports for different teams to see. A lot of companies use tools like Google Data Studio or simpler visualization tool for that, which is also fine. But uh, once you have a lot more data and once you have a data warehouse, it makes sense to use a BI tool. And they're obviously very popular BI tools such as Looker, Mode, Sysens, Tableau, et cetera. But then there are a lot of, you know, simpler, easier to use and like, you know, simpler BI tools that have a lower barrier to entry that are more affordable that a lot of people can use. So that's the analysis layer. And then we have the activation layer. And that's the main layer. There's, there's a lot that's going on in activation. So in the activation layer, we obviously talk about all the different tools that sales marketing, growth, custom success support teams use, uh, whether that's email tool like Braze or Customer.io or an onboarding tool like Userflow or AppQs, 
or even a support tool or a customer success tools or even a CRM. So all of these tools you use to basically activate that data. If you don't have the data, you can't activate the data. And then there's also another piece to activation, uh, which essentially a lot of people would be familiar with, uh, CDPs or customer data platforms, which uh, allow you to move data from all of these different sources into the end tools. Now, if you're using a CDP, you essentially don't need to use a data warehouse. But the idea is that if you have a data warehouse, you don't need a CDP, which is a significant investment. You know, today, CDPs such as segment personas or mparticle, they start at like $30,000 a year. So they're not for everybody, they're not for all companies. And it takes a significant amount of effort to implement them and maintain them. But again, companies that are investing in CDPs, and of course, CDPs uh, bring a lot of value, then those are basically activation tools that allow you to move data to the end tools that you're using to activate that data. So to sum it up, you'd want to collect the data, store it properly, and then analyze it in a product analytics tool and maybe a BI tool. And then you want to activate the data in your uh, onboarding tool, email tools, support tools, uh, CRM, etc. Cool. I mean, thank you for sharing that. That's very thorough and you really went into depth with that. I know you said that you're not going to suggest tools, but I know I'm going to ask, <laughs> ask for it. Let's say, hey, Arpit, here is unlimited amount of money, like doesn't matter, $50 million. What tools would you suggest like to connect all of that? Like this is like a, a company that has raised a ton of money and you can do whatever the heck you want when it comes to data and you have carte blank. What would you suggest in terms of like connecting all of that pieces together? All right. So uh, one thing that I'm really trying to push for at Data Led Academy is to offer an unbiased view, you know, uh, expert unbiased answers to your questions. So uh, when I suggest tools, I'm basically talking about tools that I'm familiar with and tools that are most popular in the categories that they operate in. But that's not to say that these are the only tools that you can use or these are the best tools you can use, you know. So because the tooling landscape, especially in the data space, is growing like crazy. There are like so many new tools coming up every day. So it won't be fair to say that these are the tools that you should use. But if you talk about the most popular tools in each of the categories for data collection, you have segment connections, which is their core product, connections product. You have uh, stack, which is a great segment alternative. And then there are tools like Iteratively Enable that allow you to collect data from your first-party sources. So we're talking about collecting data from your website and apps. And then you have ELT tools, such as Fivetran, Stitch, uh, Metillion, and there are a whole bunch of other ELT tools that allow you to extract data from your third-party sources or your secondary data sources and ingest that data in a warehouse. So, so you have Fivefront, Stitch, Matillion. There are some open source alternatives such as Airbyte, uh, there's Meltano, there, there are a whole bunch, but uh, these are the popular ones. So yeah, we talked about segment connections, there are the stack. Uh, if you're using a CDP, which is essentially segment personas, uh, their CDP offering, you'd obviously get segment connections, but then there are other CDPs worth mentioning, such as MParticle, there is Hull, there are some horizontal CDPs yeah, these are these are horizontal CDPs, and there are some vertical uh, CDPs such as Imperity, uh, Zeus, etc. So, so there are a lot of CDPs. In fact, I don't want to talk about CDPs because there are like hundreds of them. But essentially, CDPs will also allow you to collect data from your sources and then you know act upon that data. Uh, when it comes to storing a data, uh, there are three popular data warehouses: uh, Snowflake, Google BigQuery, and AWS Redshift. They're all worth exploring. Snowflake is obviously like super popular. Right now, and a lot of people prefer Snowflake because of how powerful it is. But uh, that's not to say that Google BigQuery or Redshift or not. 
So that's the storage layer. And then uh, in terms of analysis, product analytics, uh, of course, there's mixed panel and amplitude, which are like leading product analytics tools. Then there's also Heap, uh, which offers implicit tracking. Uh, there's, there's a new tool in this category called Post Hog, uh, which also offers implicit tracking and it's open source. And then you have Indicative. Indicative is a tool worth mentioning. And there's another one called Rakam, which is also worth mentioning. Uh, Indicative and Rakam are uh, less popular, but how they're different from, from all of these other tools is that data warehouse native. So they actually sit on top of your data warehouse. They natively connect to your data warehouse. So if you have data in your warehouse, you can use these tools to analyze data. You don't need to actually send data to those tools uh, like you would have to with um, Expanel or Amplitude or Heap or, or the others. So, so that's the product analytics layer. When you talk about BI, Looker, Mod, SciSense, Tableau, these are all like popular BI tools. There are some less popular ones, such as Pop SQL. Again, the BI landscape is so huge. You know, again, there are hundreds of different tools, but these are the popular ones that are definitely worth mentioning. There's some open source alternatives that are definitely worth mentioning called Metabase. There's Metabase, Redash, and Superset. These are three open source alternatives that are worth checking out. Superset was actually created at Airbnb. And now it's being commercialized by the founder of Superset and the product is called Preset. So these are definitely BI tools that, that are worth checking out. And then uh, in terms of activation, there's a new category of tools that allow you to, if you have a warehouse, these tools allow you to move data from your warehouse to your end tools, to your sales marketing support tools. So again, if you're using a CDP, you won't probably need these tools. It depends. Some companies actually use a CDP alongside all of these other tools, but let's say you're you're a mid-sized company, you have a CDP, you probably don't need it. But let's assume that you don't and you're investing in property and infrastructure and you're, you have a warehouse in place, you definitely want to look at reverse ETL tools. These tools allow you to take model data from your warehouse. When I say model data, essentially it means you can actually transform and model your data in the warehouse. And there are purpose-built tools for that, uh, such as DBT and Trifacta, uh, to name a couple. But then once you have model data in the warehouse, you can use a reverse ETL tool, such as uh, Hightouch or Census. Uh, there's Grouperu, there's SQL, there are a couple of others, but these are the uh, popular ones that allow you to move data from your warehouse to your end tools, to your sales marketing support tools, even like analysis tools. So product analytics companies like Mixpanel and Amplitude understand how important it is to actually connect to the warehouse natively. So they're also building native support for warehouses, but in the meantime, you can actually use the reverse ETL tool to move data from your warehouse to even mixed panel or amplitude. So the advantage of doing that, and I definitely want to talk about this a little bit, when you have the, your data warehouse as the main source of data or the only source of data, it becomes a true uh, source of truth for your data. Uh, and then the data in your product analytics tools and your BI tool have the same source, which means that the data will actually be the same, uh, which is not the case uh, with most companies because uh, typically product analytics is implemented separately. So there's a separate pipeline, you know, data is being sent to your uh, product analytics tool directly, and then uh, data is sent to your BI tool via the warehouse. So there are two separate pipelines, and obviously there's lack of accuracy. So you might see something in your product, product analytics tool, and you want to basically you create a hypothesis around that, but then you go and see the BI tool, and there's a different story. It tells you a different story. The data in the BI tool tells you a different story, and that is a big problem. Uh, for a lot of companies. It's a prevalent problem. And that's why using your uh, data warehouse as a source of data in all your analysis tools is really, really, really important. 
And then you have activation tools. So of course, there are a whole bunch of them. But if you talk about onboarding tools, my, I have experience with Userflow and AppQs. But then there are a whole bunch uh, like Userpilot. Yeah, I think you would know a couple of others, Ramli. I have experience with Customer.io and Braze. Those are like really great uh, email tools. But then you have Iterable. There's another one called UserList, which is relatively new, but you know, also picking up steam. It's doing really well. But yeah, I think I think that's pretty much it. Uh, of course, you have support tools and you know, custom success tools and CRMs. But I think I would rather not go into that. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. That was very thorough and in depth. I mean, I gave you that question. You asked. Thank you for answering that question around like, what tools would you pick if you had unlimited resources? I'm going to go to the other end now. What would you suggest for startups? They have limited resources. They can only probably pick a handful of analytics tools. So they can't like have the gamut of all the tools that you suggested. And they, what is the bare bones tools, uh, analytics tools that you would suggest for a product-led company to make sure that they are empowering their teams, their sales, customer success, marketing, the whole uh, product team with product data? Yeah, great question. So... Um... I think you'd at least need a data collection tool. Segment connection is actually pretty affordable. Uh, Rudder stack is also affordable and iteratively able. All of these tools are pretty affordable. So you should definitely have one of those tools. These tools also sort of help with data governance, uh, which is really important, which means that you know you can actually define the events that you want to track. You can define the property that you want to collect for each event. You can define the data types for each property. So iteratively enable deserve a special mention uh, here because they are actually trying to solve this problem and they're do, doing this really well. So I'd highly recommend getting one of those and then getting a product analytics tool. The great thing is that you can actually make do with the free tier as a startup, whether it's the mixed panel or amplitude or indicative, they all have, sorry, really generous free tiers. You can look at open source alternatives such as PostHog. Obviously, you need more resources to you know deploy and maintain an, an open source product, but it's worth looking at. So you collect data and you, you analyze it in a product analytics tool. That's the bare minimum I would recommend. And then you can obviously use a free tool like Google Data Studio to, to do your analysis. A lot of companies I know, uh, big companies, uh, use Google Data Studio and not like dedicated BI tools. Also with BI tools, you need to have in-house expertise to actually uh, use BI tools. You need people who can uh, know at least some SQL so that they can write queries, analyze the data. So probably not not the best idea to invest in a BI tool for a startup. There are some newer tools which are trying to combine product analytics and BI or just provide a a simpler solution for startups. Uh, None that I can think of right now, like none that is really popular or worth mentioning right now, but there is a whole bunch of uh, a new breed of tools that are being created in this space to cater to the needs of startups. But irrespective, I'd recommend investing in a product analytics tool. And like I said, a free version would be enough. So so yeah, collecting data and um, analyzing it in a product analytics tool. And then you're obviously going to use some other tools like email tools and onboarding tools. Uh, it's really important to actually try and understand the user journey in a holistic manner. So what I mean by that is that you you don't want to, again, like let's say you send an email to a user and then they uh, open that email and then they open a ticket. And before they get a response to their ticket, you send them another email. And that's not a good idea, right? So, so you know, to prevent that, you actually need to essentially connect your email tool with your support tool. So what I'm trying to say here is that if I receive an email, 
and then I open a support ticket. That information that I've opened a support ticket and that ticket is still not resolved should be available in your email tool so that you can you know, exclude that user from your campaigns so that they don't receive another email saying that, hey, now you do this before that query has been answered. A lot of companies just fail to address this and it's really frustrating for users because they're like, hey, I replied to your last email. I opened a ticket. You haven't even responded to my ticket. You're sending another email and that's frustrating. So these challenges can be solved uh, using API integrations. Uh, there are a lot of point-to-point integration tools, such as Integrum and Zapier. Uh, you can use those tools as a startup to, to kind of sync data between all of these different tools. In the long term, it's not the best strategy because it ends up creating a data spaghetti. But in the, in the medium term, it should be all right. It's really important to actually think about the customer experience first. Uh, especially as a startup, because you don't even know if you're going to survive in the long term. So uh, connecting these tools is really important. And again, there are you can you can do that via code. You can do that via their APIs, or you can use tools like Integromat. You can use tools like Workado, PySync. There's a whole bunch of integration tools, Automate.io, uh, that allow you to do such point-to-point integrations. Zapier, of course. So yeah, makes a ton of sense. Well, I really love how you said that before you look at the data analytics tool. Look at your whole user journey, right? Because I think uh, I'm not sure about you, but for me, I get excited about new tools. I get excited about new cameras, but I also get excited about new analytics tools. So I really love uh, the point you made there. Analyze your user journey first and figure out, hey, what tools do I need from there and break it down uh, going forward. Yeah, I just want to say that uh, the fact that I know about these tools probably indicates that I'm also obsessed with tools. And I, I really love you know, exploring new tools and technologies uh, and also understanding what they do and then writing about them. That's actually one of the big motivations behind Data Dad Academy. So, yeah, I just want to mention that. We're both the same and we're apparently <laughs> both into cameras as well. We were just chatting before this, but uh, I have a question from Maya around how important is it to implement server-side analytics right from the get-go as a startup. And for people who are not familiar, when you in- implement a tool like Mixpanel or something else, you can attach it to, and we might be get- getting into too much detail here, uh, you can attach it to your your app directly, whether that's in Ruby on Rails or whatever it is. So that's server-side versus just attaching it to the front-end on uh, using JavaScript. So for you, Arpit, like, how important is it to implement a server-side analytics from the get-go? It's super important. It's something that you just cannot ignore. And in fact, if you can track server-side, you should do it irrespective, especially with new privacy laws, uh, with ad blockers, et cetera, where a lot of your client-side tracking will actually not work. <laughs> so server-side tracking is extremely important. But I'd like to give a simple example here of the beauty of uh, doing server-side tracking. So let's say you're doing client-side tracking where if someone clicks the sign-up button, you track that as an event. So essentially, I click the sign up button, I landed on your sign up page, and you have that event like you know that I visited the sign up page. Now, I fill in the sign up form and I click the submit button. Now, if you're the submit button, if you're also tracking that server side, so if you're, if you're doing the sign up button, which is on your website, you're doing it client side, that's okay. But the submit button where I filled up your sign up form, if you track that client side and not server side, essentially what's going to happen is that your product analytics tool will say that. Someone just signed up, you know, this youth, someone's created an account or signed up, an account got created. But let's say there was an error and basically the account didn't get created. Let's say there was a validation error with the password or something else or, or something, my internet went off. And basically 
that information that is submitted in that form did not actually reach your servers, which means the account did not actually get created in your database. I like to call it process completed. So you can track events and track data when an action happens, or you can track it once that process is complete. And if you do that uh, server side, you actually have accurate data. You know, if you see someone signed up, they actually completed the sign up process, you know, whether that's a form or if it's, it could be like a three-step sign up process, which is pretty common these days where a lot of users would, you know, uh, maybe drop off after the second step. Uh, if you're not tracking this data server side, it's a big mistake because you're essentially going to have bad data. So that's like a really simple example, but going forward, server side tracking is the way forward, especially with data privacy and all the new privacy norms and all the changes that are coming to the browser. So yeah, in fact, I've done an episode of the Data-Led podcast on this very, very topic, which will release soon. So Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm totally in the same boat as you. you. You talked about accuracy of the data, like when you're server side, you know, you don't have ad blockers. You talked about browser changing. I'm using Brave right now, which blocks a lot of a lot of uh, a browser that blocks yeah. a lot of the different tools and uh, tracking. So you're, you're totally right there. I mean, one of the challenges I see just chatting with product-led companies, especially ones that have grown organically. Now, I mean, organically, the team has grown organically, is that Every team has their own analytics tool. The sales team has their own tool. Marketing has their tool. And then customer success has their tool. And then design has their own tool. And within the design team, two different design teams has their own analytics tool. And it becomes data spaghetti. And that means that it just boobly glop and it just doesn't make sense anymore. And that's a big challenge for for going product-led is you need to make sure that the data is being shared across because there's a a factor picture of what the user's journey looks like. And that's not a good idea. So, I mean, the question I have for you is, where do you start? Somebody comes up to you, Arpit, like this is happening to my company right now. We have data spaghetti. What is your suggestion to that that team or that, that company? Yeah, I mean, the obvious suggestion would be, you know, consolidate your tools. But uh, that's not a suggestion that I like to give because, you know, like, Teams, different teams have different needs. And if they want to use specific tools that they like, uh, they should be allowed to use those tools. And the solution to this problem is basically making sure that, you know, all the data sources, your data from your data sources are flowing into your warehouse and and these tools are connected to your warehouse. I mean, that sounds like a simple solution. And in reality, it is a simple solution. It's also simple to implement. It's hard because it's not something that companies have done. So they've already implemented all of these tools. And for a second, I'd like to talk about implementation. Like, it's really important. Like, it's easy to like evaluate tools and then be like, okay, I'm going to buy this tool and then hand over the tool to your engineering and be like, hey, let, please go ahead and implement it. It happens very often in the product analytics space where, you know, companies will be like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go with mixed panel or amplitude. And then they'll just hand it over to their engineer and be like, implement it for us. Now, your engineer, their job is to build your product. Their job is not to implement these tools. They don't know what you want. They don't know what data you want. They don't know, you know, like you need to tell them, you need to work with them. You need to uh, specify exactly what data you want. You want to specify what the data looks like. You want to specify the the event names and the properties and everything. Uh, If you don't do that well, the engineer will will implement it the way they want to and you'd have a tool and you'd have some data. But, you know, firstly, you wouldn't know if you can trust that data. And then when a situation like this arises where, 
you want to either consolidate tools or you want to basically fix a data spaghetti problem, you won't know where to start. And the only solution would be to start all over again, you know, start from scratch, which is a big, big problem. It's a big investment for, for companies and it could take years, you know, frankly speaking. So I think companies or individuals need to be really intentional about implementing tools, especially when when we talk about data tools, you know, when you're going to flow in your product data into these tools, it's really important to think about, you know, what is that data? How is it being sent to these tools, et cetera, et cetera. And then if you want to fix the data spaghetti problem, understand all the data sources, make sure that data is being stored in a warehouse and then make the warehouse your source of truth or the main source of, of data, um, which basically sends data to all of these different tools, whether it's a product analytics tool or a BI tool or any other analytics tool. And it's easier than ever before to do this. Uh, in fact, all the popular data warehouses, Snowflake, BigQuery, Redshift, they all offer free tiers, pretty generous ones. So it's not really hard to get started. And it's really not hard to find experts, consultants who can help you get started if you don't have in-house resources. Uh, of course, companies that have in-house data teams, that have in-house data engineers, they can actually do this pretty easily, frankly. But then there are a lot of uh, boutique agencies and consultancies and individuals that are basically that, who specialize in uh, helping companies set up and it's worth looking into them. I love it. I love how, how you, you broke it down. Um, you really like figure out if you need a tool first. It goes back to figuring out your user journey first to figure out which tools you actually need for that particularly. One other problem that I see all the time with product cloud companies is they implement the tool, right? And they're like excited about it, implemented a few months later, they forget about it. <laughs> so they're just like, they, there's excitement in the implementation. And then all of a sudden, there's a drop off in actually getting insights. So the question I have for you is, what kind of processes should companies have to make sure that they're continuously getting valuable product data insights that's shared across sales, marketing, customer success, product, throughout the whole product-led company? Oh, yeah. Thanks for asking that question, by the way. It's one of my favorite questions. And I've seen a lot of companies uh, do this, where they in invest in tools, expensive tools, and then they don't end up using them. Or the person who, who was responsible, who, who actually got the tool implemented, the buyer moves on to another company, and then uh, the next person who comes is not interested or doesn't know how to use the tool or wants to use a different tool. And this probably a big perpetuator of this problem is a lack of documentation. I would say it's the single most important thing that people need to do when they're implementing tools. They need to document heavily. They need to document everything. Uh, when it comes to product analytics, you need to create a tracking plan, a data tracking plan, which is uh, an extremely important document that you create before you start implementation. And I've written a lot, lot about that. I've shared uh, a lot of templates around that. So, so that's like really bare bones that you do in the tracking plan. And I mentioned this a couple of times, you, you define all the events that you want to track. You define how the taxonomy of the events, you know, you want to define how you should kind of define those events, how you should name those events. Rather, you want to specify which properties you want to collect for each event. So if you have an event called signed up, you want to specify what are the different properties you want to collect. Uh, it's the name of the user, the email of the user, the timestamp, which is automatically collected, but you also want to make sure you collect the timestamp as a separate attribute or property and so on. Like depending on your product, there could be other properties. You also want to specify the data type of each property. Uh, if a property is a Boolean property, you know, you should know that's a Boolean property because 
the value would be true or false and not something else. So documenting all of this stuff is really important, not just from an analysis point of view, because you're using, you end up using the same data in your activation tools in Intercom or, or Customer IO or whatever other tools they're using. Again, a simple example would be your onboarding emails uh, where you want to customize those emails based on these, these events. If you don't know what those events are, and if you don't know what the properties are for each event, and you don't know what the data type is for the, for each property, often uh, you'd have an enum property where you'd have a set of values for each property. So a simple example would be if you're asking this for uh, the industry that they belong to, you'd have like a set of values, right? Like five, six, seven industries that you want to predefine, that you want to use to select. And if you don't have this information, you know, if you don't have this documented anywhere, you wouldn't know, you know, how to use this data. So documenting and documenting like crazy, you know, like documenting everything you can is extremely important. Uh, not just documenting the data that is being captured, but also the processes, you know, what are the different, a uh, simple example would be, again, if you're using an email tool, you're creating a lot of different segments of users, you know, depending on your company size, you could have hundreds of segments. Now, if you don't have it documented, but you're not documenting what those segments are, it's impossible for the next person to understand what those are. Or if you're not documenting the different emails that you're sending, you're just directly making changes inside the tool and you don't have it documented anywhere else where one can, you know, go through the document, understand what are the different emails people will receive based on what actions. And I've done this so much that I can just talk about it all day. But, you know, like it's really, really, really important to document like crazy, especially now that, you know, everybody's remote more so than ever before. So that would be my my single most uh, important piece of advice. I love that. I think you're right. Documentation is so important in data, especially with growth experiments as well. I think uh, tracking, you know, what kind of experiments you have. And yeah, you're right. Like totally, totally, totally agree with that. I mean, as we're starting to wrap up, we talked a lot about different things today. Uh, if you can give like one or two pieces of advice to product-led companies about data, and like I said, it could be something that we've talked about right now, or it could be something that we haven't talked about yet. What would be some of the the tips or advice that you would give to product-led companies? Yeah, uh, I'm not a huge fan of giving advice, but since you asked for it, I'll give it anyway. I'd say that, you know, like it's easy to fall in that trap where you spend a lot of time, weeks, months, evaluating different tools. And I said this before, don't do that. Like try and find an expert who can help you decide the right tool. And then like, please spend time on your implementation. Like be very intentional about implementation because, you know, you can pay hundreds of thousands for a great tool, but if it's not implemented properly, correctly, it's just going to be a disaster, you know? And like, especially when it comes to data tools, like it's really, really important to like be very intentional about implementation. So again, like a big part of it is obviously documentation, but it's also like people and processes. You know, you have to know who are the people who should be involved in the process of implementation. I like to think of a group of people who'd be, you know, who'd come together and these people would essentially be from different teams. So they'd be representatives from different teams uh, who'd come together and they collectively be responsible for implementing a tool rather than one person, the buyer, being responsible so that everybody understands what's happening, why it's happening, and then, you know, they can pitch in and, and like, in the long run, they'd know why a specific, you know, event was captured or why a specific piece of data was captured in a certain way. And there's so many nuances and they, they obviously depend on, on your product and your industry and so on. So, yeah, getting the right people together 
and then setting processes uh, and then documenting those things. That's the most important thing. Like there are amazing tools in the market, like so many of them. And frankly, a bunch of them are very similar. Mm. Most of them can probably uh, solve your needs. So it's not so much about the tool. It's actually about the implementation and coming together of people, processes, and documentation. I love it. I was just on LinkedIn this morning and somebody said strategy without execution is just a dream. And I think it's the same thing with here. It's like, you know, you can have like the best plan. You can like really think about implementation like what you said. I know I'm just about to wrap up and David left a comment about like a tracking template, tracking plan template that you have. Like, well, yeah. for, uh, for people who ha- want to know more about all the stuff that you said, where can people find out about all the tools you suggested if, if it's possible or any other resource like that tracking plan template that David is suggesting? Yeah, you can you can go to dataled.academy. That's D-A-T-L-E-D dot academy. Uh, and you'd find everything there. You won't find all the tools that I've mentioned, but I'm working on that. I'm trying to document all of that. In the meantime, you know, you can reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, I'm, I can automate on Twitter. I can automate. Or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, same handle, and ask me specific questions. Or if you're in the product-led growth Slack, I'm pretty active there. You can message me there and I can I can share specific answers, but I'm also happy to share a list of all the tools that I mentioned. Regarding the tracking plan template, if you go to the, to the website, you can go to guides, and there's a guide on uh, how to create a tracking plan, which has a link to the template. Or you can just go to bit.ly slash tracking dash plan, and you land on the template, which is uh, a Google Sheet template, and you can make a copy. That's bit.ly slash tracking dash plan. Sweet. I think that's all the time we have left, but we will share out all of these links, this valuable stuff that you share, the links, the resources that you have to the people who sign up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for your time, Arpit. I really do appreciate you getting into the weeds <laughs> with, with the data oh, yeah. and sharing a little bit about the tools that you have. Oh yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. I love talking about this stuff and I talk about this stuff all day. So uh, my pleasure. And uh, this was a fun conversation. So thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thanks everybody for tuning in. Yeah, for sure.